Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. It may be cold outside, but Leon Tailoring keep you nice and warm without burning a hole in your pocket. That's right, if you need a nice new coat or maybe need a sweater or a heavier jacket or heavier blouse, no matter what it is, Leon Tailoring, Larry, Norm, Kim, and Judy can take care of you this winter season. So, like I said, it's the Midwest, it's cold outside, but Leon Tailoring always keep you nice and warm and comfortable, and once again, without burning holes in any of your pockets. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. I know they'd be happy to see you. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown in Indianapolis. Well, as I do, folks know, agriculture is a multi-billion dollar industry here in the state of Indiana. It totally helps the Indiana's economy. And so our agricultural friends in the farm industry uh, have a legislative agenda. So we're talking today uh, to Jeff Cummings. He's the state legislative director for the Indiana Farm Bureau. So, Jeff, my friend, as always, thank you very much for being with us. Always good to chat with you. Hey, it's my pleasure, Abdul. Good to be with you. Uh, so we're about three, four weeks into uh, session right now. Uh, how are things looking for our friends in agriculture these days? Well, it's, uh, it's very fast-paced. We're still, to some degree, assessing the battlefield. A lot of bills came out. Uh, they were slow to kind of come out, So, uh, but, but committees were quick to pick up. So we spent a lot of time, um, a, a lot of time uh, already testifying and working on bills and various committees. So, uh, but we've, we've got, I think, some good things going. We've, we've managed to play some defense on a couple of bills that we're working on, and we're seeing some advancement on some bills that are priorities that we like. Um, and it looks like things that, uh, that we're supporting in the budget are, are looking positive as well. Uh, so help us, so help artists out here. What do you say, what would you say are our Farm Bureau's top three priorities this, this session? So I'll, I'll add a fourth because we really got four major buckets uh, of priorities as it stands for really for this session and a few others. A couple of years ago, our board of directors elected to kind of set broad policy topic areas for us to prioritize. So those would be rural viability, uh, energy and environment, tax and fiscal policy, and new to that bunch this year, food security. And so you can imagine how broad those are, what you could kind of uh, sub-bullet into each. And so we're kind of watching a number of things in each category. Of course, with rural viability, it's things like continued access and expansion to broadband. Uh, agriculture is high-tech. Uh, the barns are high-tech. Uh, the, the equipment's high-tech, and so uh, continued access to broadband, um, and in particular, encouraging folks to use our speed test on the Farm Bureau website to identify their true down-to-the-premise service levels, so that way dollars from these broadband grants can get to the precise locations they really need to be. So that's a continued push, uh, one we've been making for a while. We like the progress we've made. Just want to make sure the momentum continues. Um, furthermore, as we think about um, the, the expansion of workforce opportunities, public safety and emergency services, and supporting the governor's public health commission recommendations. So all those things can tie into uh, the first of our, one of our four priorities of rural viability. So public health, emergency services, broadband and infrastructure. Um, so a whole host of things. And, and, and of course, a big bite, that's a big bite at the apple, but we know within each of these, they're a little bit longer term and bigger picture. Happy to, happy to go into some detail on others as well. Uh, let's talk about uh, tax policy because obviously uh, there's there's talk about eliminating the income tax. Of course, if you eliminate the income tax, you got to find a, a mechanism to replace it, and also uh, property taxes. A lot of folks have been uh, concerned about sort of the, the effect on uh, on uh, residential property. Uh, but what's been happening with agriculture? So how about uh, those two things? Well, we we know that homeowners are feeling pressure, and and so that gives us concern and a little bit of pause that 
legislators might feel pressure to shift the burden to agriculture. So we're watching very closely what does homeowner property tax relief look like and what does that mean for agriculture? Because at the same time, and you've probably seen the articles, there are some eye-popping land sales going on. I mean, ten, twenty thousand dollars an acre in some parts of the country uh, for prime farm ground. Um, so commodity prices have been up. That, that means land values are going up, which means our property taxes are headed up as well. Now, it may not be as quick. It may not be as sudden of an increase because the farmland property tax formula draws it out over a period of six years in terms of kind of an average, but, uh, but ours are headed upward too. And so we don't want to see um, added undue pressure uh, in, in order to provide temporary homeowner property tax relief, which we understand is is uh, is troubling a lot of people. So we're watching to to protect the farmland formula, uh, to keep assessments uniform and consistent, predictable, um, and, and to avoid the shifts to agriculture as they seek relief. And and like you said, for other tax policies and tax proposals, we we we, we like our friends in local government. We want them to to have the funding they need. So any of these relief mechanisms um, across the board, whatever it be in terms of the tax structure the legislature wants to kind of tinker with, uh, we, we hope they'll give due consideration to uh, filling the gap that that may create for local units of government. So we try to raise those issues as well. Our guest on the program today is Jeff Cummings. Jeff is uh, with the Indiana Farm Bureau. He's their state legislative director. So we're talking about some of the uh, Farm Bureau's agenda with the Indiana lawmakers' session, as well as some of the issues uh, that our friends in agriculture are facing. Uh, Jeff, it's interesting. You also said one of the, one of the big things that uh, uh, the fourth item uh, on the Farm Bureau's agenda is food security. Now, unless we're talking about eggs, help me out here. Absolutely. So there's a few components to this. And, of course, most folks know that uh, – Food insecurity is an issue, and so we're supporting the uh, the request from the lieutenant governor's office to double the funding uh, that goes to food banks that passes through our through our state department of agriculture. Uh, and, and so we we certainly support efforts on food insecurity, but the food security component, as we see it, is how do we keep farmers farming? How do we keep production going? And so. Some of that is farmland preservation. Uh, there will be a bill on Monday morning uh, to take an inventory, heard in the House Ag Committee, to take an inventory of lost farmland over uh, the prior decade or decade and a half. That will be um, a House bill uh, 1557. So uh, we're supporting of that. We want to know what the data says, and we want to know um, what kind of strategies we ought to be thinking about. Again, thinking longer term as we deal with urban and suburban sprawl, more warehouses, and by the way, wind and solar going all over the place, uh, particularly solar as you can't farm around that. And so that, that's purely lost acreage. Um, but but the, the comparison, you know, the companion, I guess, data point there is our, our yields are getting better, technology is improving. So we want to assess that holistically. So another way to do that is with Representative Colt's uh, land use task force. So we'll be supporting that bill in an effort to uh, get the right people around the table to assess um, loss of farmland, what land use strategies need to be in place. Um, some of that comes down to county's comprehensive plans. What do they want to be uh, as they think about development? And so all those kind of chess pieces fit into um, a, a land use strategy, a farmland preservation strategy. So that's one component we're thinking about as well. The other might be a little curious to folks. Uh, this morning I testified in House Financial Institutions Committee supporting House Bill 1008, uh, which prohibits discrimination against agriculture, fossil fuels, and some other industries if they're not meeting ESG standards. So what I mean by that is there are some companies out there 
whether it's Wall Street, uh, firms, banks and creditors, insurance companies that may say you're a risky industry or we don't like the nature uh, of your industry or we have activists that tell us we shouldn't. And so we're not going to maybe lend or provide credit to you. We can imagine if that starts to roll downstream to the farm, that really prohibits our ability to get credit, secure and, and, and comply with these ESG standards to continue uh, providing food for the state and the nation uh, and the world. And so that's under food security as well. So we just want the General Assembly to stand up and, and kind of say that, uh, that those kinds of activities from the financial sector, uh, you know, don't have a place in our state and so that bill would say uh, no pension system uh, the state's pension system cannot be involved in funds that uh, you know discriminate against those industries and so we supported that bill uh, it's a it, 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 it takes a little bit to see the connection there but we're starting to feel the pain the Securities and Exchange Commission promulgated a rule trying to require publicly traded companies to measure and report their greenhouse gas emissions uh, which means for food companies and grocery stores and the like uh, that means they have to understand their value chain. And so that means compliance with ESG standards on the farm. And so we're just urging the state to push back on that. So farmland preservation, pushing back on ESG, environment, social, and governance standards are a couple of components this session for our food security uh, priority. Our guest on the program today is our good friend Jeff Cummings. Jeff is with the Indiana Farm Bureau. He's our state legislative director. So we're, kind of, we're having a conversation uh, about uh, uh well, so, so, sort of the, the issues that farmers are facing here in the state of Indiana, as well as their legislative agenda. Uh, Jeff, you also talked about uh, energy. And I remember, uh, I don't think, I think it was maybe like last year or the year before, uh, the whole carbon sequestration was one of the one of the more uh, contested topics. They were talking about uh, whether farmers owned the land like underground and it would, it would, it would sequester like uh, like greenhouse gases or fossil fuels. Uh, what's going on with energy and our, and our friends in agriculture? Well, the issue is back. It's reared its ugly head again. Again? So, Seriously? You're, you're kidding, right? Good Lord. <laughs> I wish I were. Um, but but the good news is um, the legislation we're contesting this year is not as bad as it was last year. So let me reset the stage for your listeners. Uh, there was a bill that would have stripped landowners of their property rights uh, to the subsurface pore space below their property, uh, which would have allowed for a particular company um, to sequester carbon dioxide under people's property without their knowledge or permission, um, and certainly without compensation. We were able to defeat that bill, simultaneously supporting another bill last year, 1209, which did a few things. It defined what subsurface pore space is, which is the open cavities below in the geographic, in the, in geographic formations. Uh, it codified that subsurface pore space as the right uh, of the landowner. So if you own above, you own that below. Uh, 1209 also said that if you're going to sequester carbon dioxide in those uh, subsurface pores, you have to notify the parties in the area. You have to offer them a, a deal of some kind. You have to lease or buy that pore space from them uh, and compensate them for that. And so this is a, a sort of a central tenant within property rights for us. Um, that we were able to secure some victories on last year. So it's reared its head again in the sense that we've still got one company that doesn't quite want to play by those rules. Um, and, and so they're, they're saying they want to manufacture, um, whether it's hydrogen or ammonia, they've kind of gone back and forth, capture their carbon dioxide, inject it into the pore space below and store it there in perpetuity. Uh, but they don't want to have to abide by the terms of 1209, which is to say, direct notification to landowners, leasing that poor space, um, uh, paying uh, landowners for that poor space. 
So we're trying to negotiate a little bit with this bill. Um, I'll give them credit. The bill does define poor space this time around. It does codify it as a right of the landowner. And they said they want to find a way to make compensation uh, a part of their project to landowners. So we start off in a little better position. Uh, but this bill says if you decline the offer they would make you, you have to sue them to get the compensation. So that's just not a great way to adjudicate property rights. You shouldn't have to sue somebody to get compensation that you should be otherwise entitled to and that they said they want to give you. So we're trying to find a way to, to, to find a better standard there to figure out. if we, And if we can't, we'll have to defeat that bill again. But we're trying to find a way to improve that for landowners um, because I think ultimately this carbon sequestration type of project could turn out to be pretty good for Indiana as a whole from an environmental standpoint, but also uh, for agriculture. We have some ethanol facilities that have a little CO2 that comes off, and they want to capture that and sequester it below. And it sounds like they're doing it the right way. They're going to landowners directly, offering them compensation, not only for the pore space, but if they have surface access, and in some cases, uh, just to let them do some testing on the property while they await their federal permits to do the injection. So there's a lot of complications to this issue, but we know there are companies out there doing it the right way. Uh, and in fact, there are some landowners getting paid on to, under deals they've agreed to themselves already in Indiana, even though no permits have been issued and nobody's doing carbon sequestration just yet, although that time will come. So we've got some examples of how it can work. We've got a law that ensures that it does. We've just got to figure out if this one company can come to the negotiating table with us and, and find a way to make this workable. Jeff Cummings with us of uh, the Indiana Farm Bureau for a few more minutes on the program today. Just getting caught up on uh, what issues Indiana, uh, Indiana's agriculture industry uh, will be facing in this coming session. Uh, Jeff, obviously uh, inflation is a big deal. Uh, hits a lot of us. We kind of you know, made the joking comment uh, about eggs a little bit. Uh, my, 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 my joke I told my students early, earlier today was that, hey, look, my wife wanted a, a new ring, so I just got her an egg instead because it's basically the exact, <laughs> the exact same thing. How has, how has inflation uh, hit farmers? It's been tough. It's been tough on the farm, and it, and it really kind of got to us a little earlier than it did, I think, the regular, um, you know, sort of the general economy. So for uh, a while now, we've been dealing with extremely escalated prices of diesel, uh, fertilizer, um, of pesticides, and some of the chemistries we use to make sure we're being efficient on the farm. And so while supply itself uh, has not been impacted so far, those prices still haven't come back down. So some of that is because is due to the general inflation that the rest of the economy is feeling right now. Some of that's due to the fact that so much of those materials, particularly on the fertilizer side, come from Russia and Ukraine. And so you can imagine that as soon as that conflict started, uh, we started having issues uh, right away. And so, uh, so that really restricted our ability to get access to those kinds of materials. So those prices haven't come back down yet either. There has been some easing, but the, on the input side, whether it's the seed, feed, pesticides, fertilizers, we're seeing those increased prices, uh, which, which ultimately impact the bottom line on the farm um, and the value chain. And, and so, but, but, but yet, and still, there's not a lot of the food dollar that gets back to the farmer anymore these days. And so, um, so, so a lot of that inflationary, uh, you know, folks might be thinking, geez, the poultry farmers are really making out like bandits right now. It doesn't trickle all the way back like it used to. Uh, and so, so we're dealing with high prices um, and, and still some tight margins, uh, particularly at a time as, as crop prices increase and it looked like things might turn the corner 
from the historic, you know, five, six years of sort of bottomed out crop prices we've had of late. So um, those bounced back and prices rose right behind it. So we're feeling the pinch along with all the people uh, that we try to provide for uh, throughout the state and nation. So, Jeff, what is going on with poultry farmers and eggs? Is, is it the avian bird flu that, that's doing this or what's going on? I think that has certainly exacerbated it. Um, we've seen around the country the avian flu has, has hit uh, hit our state a little bit. And, and, gosh, we're so grateful for our Indiana Board of Animal Health and the, the consummate professionals there who respond so uh, uh, deftly to those kinds of outbreaks um, and the companies that work so closely with them. So we're glad to see that some progress is being made there. But, yeah, that certainly has an impact when you have to uh, depopulate barns to eradicate the disease and then that – uh, that sort of um, puts pressure on supply because you don't have as much production going on. So it's kind of a lot of things all packed into one in agriculture. It's global affairs. It's the inflation uh, here driven by excessive government spending and some, some, some things like avian influenza in the poultry market. So it's hard to say what one factor is most uh, important or problematic. Uh, but there's a whole host of them. Uh, final question for you, my friend, and Jeff Cummings with us uh, in in a farm bureau for a couple more minutes on the program today. Uh, Got to ask you the marijuana question because you know because that's what I that's what I do. Uh, so, has Farm Bureau taken a position on uh, marijuana legalization, or, or at the very least, hemp? You know, we haven't taken a position on marijuana. Uh, as you probably know, our members drive our policy making. They meet annually. That starts at the county level, and then there are various layers to it in terms of the positions we take on legislation, whether for or against. Um, and marijuana has not made it through that process, either for or against. So we, we really have no position, truth be told. Now, I will say we do have uh, support in our policy book for hemp. It sort of calls for a general free market for hemp. And, uh, over the la- and we're pretty close to that here in Indiana. The last piece we need is kind of what you might have heard called the craft hemp flower. This is the dried, sort of rolled, smokable product, low, you know, low THC, compliant with, uh, with those standards, so not a hallucinogenic um, that, that can be sold through stores. We still need that last piece of the puzzle. Uh, I've testified on that in, in the last several sessions supporting uh, the legalization of craft hemp flower, in part because it's a low-cost, high-margin product. Um, that folks can can use. And it's just another alternative, not only for farmers to grow in terms of hemp products themselves, but for consumers who like uh, CBD. Um, and that's really that's really the type of product we're, we're talking about here with the craft hemp flowers. So we supported that um, and, and we hope to see some momentum here. But it's kind of interesting you, you pair those together because uh, I would also say it seems to me like there's gotten to be, even if it's slight, a little more momentum uh, in the building for, for marijuana, um, although I, I, I may be speaking out of turn because we don't advocate on that, on that issue, but it feels like there's a little more momentum there, and yet here we are still kind of trying to push, uh, push all hemp products across the finish line. So it's kind of an interesting uh, dynamic. Well, it's like I was jokingly tell my friends, like, hey, look how long it took Indiana to get retail Sunday alcohol sales. You guys want marijuana legalization today? Good luck with that one. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> our guest on the program today has been our good friend Jeff Cummings. Jeff is with the Indiana Farm Bureau State Legislative Director. Jeff, my friend, as always, thank you very much uh, for being with us. We'll uh, circle back a little bit later this session, old friend. Always a pleasure, Abdul. Thanks so much. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.